lightning. Inspirational. Inspirational. Powerfully refining. Powerfully refining. And unapologetically controversial. Conversations with the Royal Impress. The entire world knows the secret of who you are. Now is the time to step into your queendom and become the Royal Empress that you're meant to be. One woman at a time. Conversations with the Royal Empress. Now Akima, she's the analytical Empress. Akima, she's the Empress that will challenge you. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the Royal Empress. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Akila. And joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, Dr. Hakima. This week, we have a special guest co-host, and she is Alicia Air Scott, host of the Air Scott Hour, seen live weekly on Facebook and other social media platforms. She is a former candidate for the Georgia House of Representatives, and she is here with us today to talk American politics or politics. How should Black people navigate the political system and climate here in the United States? Welcome, Alicia. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Akila. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to go briefly into Alicia's bio, just a, just a little bit. Alicia began her career in the financial services industry uh, in investment advisory, where she helped to manage the assets of some of the wealthiest individuals and foundations in California. She has worked for the U.S. military and has been a public policy consultant. And as we've already said, she ran for the Georgia House of Representatives. And today she is the current host of the Air Scott Hour. And she's also my soror. And so welcome again. <laughs> welcome again. Yes. And did you have anything to say, Dr. Hakima? No, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to get this topic going. I, I'm oh, I'm so into this. I, especially with this this climate that we're in, we need to be talking about some politics. <laughs> and a little bit, a little bit of politics. Yeah, and a, and a little bit of politics. A little bit of politics. <laughs> little bit of politics. <laughs> <laughs> More politics than than politics, but both are bad. Oh yeah. So, Alicia, before we really, really get into it, can you tell us something, tell us about you in your own words? Oh, my goodness, me in my own words. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I, um, I'm a native Los Angeles, California girl. I was born and raised in Compton. Um, which I know sounds very cliche, but it's true. I, I graduated from Compton High School. I won't say the year because I don't want to tell on myself. I like to stay shrouded in, shrouded in a little bit of mystery. Um, I was, of course, 20, 2018 Georgia State House of Representatives candidate. In 2016, I actually was the 
field director for Georgia for the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign. I have worked on and or ran over 10 political campaigns for Democratic candidates as well as nonpartisan candidates at the local, municipal, and state levels. Um, and I've also worked, um, my public policy work has also ventured me into crisis PR. So I've handled crisis PR campaigns for um, a couple of nonprofit organizations and elected officials where I've taken some time to work out their reputations in the public eye. And my public policy work has led me to get three different uh, bills to the Georgia General Assembly um, legislative floor. Couple of them, uh, one of them has passed, uh, two of them are sort of meandering around. Um, I, I work big time, I'm a huge advocate of taking down Confederate monuments from public spaces. That's, uh, I also did a TED talk in 2018 on um, American monuments and the story they tell um, about America and America's history. So I'm a huge proponent for removing Confederate monuments and names off of our public spaces. Um, and that's a little bit of my, my, my advocacy work my, and my weekly show. I'm trying not to let it become a weekly rant, but you know, there's so much going on. Yeah, I end up ranting a little bit, <laughs> but um, I'm sort of a, a big voice down in, in, in Georgia. So we'll, we'll, see where, we'll see where that takes me. Yes, well, I've enjoyed your show and I don't think you're ranting. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, thank and, you. Yes, and I've also seen your TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. But obviously, you're poised for this discussion. And we are in a, a really interesting political climate today. Um, and so I'm going to quote one of your shows where you said, what the hell is going on? <laughs> yeah. Trump, Biden politicizing the pandemic what the hell is going on alicia yeah what the, i you know it it it's capitalism capitalism it just it cannibalizes its people capitalism is has utterly turned america into one giant platform for monetization and it's rendered our political system and the power of the people absolutely sterile uh, the power has not been in the hands of the people for a long time. Um, Citizens United, um, you know, unleashing the unlimited power of, of funding super PACs, you know, with, with unchecked limits has turned us into one big, you know, just one big marketing platform, um, one big media opportunity. So couple that with social media, um, we've, what the hell is going on, you know? Social media um, and profits are literally, literally just cannibalizing, um, and it's starting at the lesser or the weaker or the more vulnerable of our population and the mass populace. And you know, as it funnels up, you know, everyone is just you know we're eating the young, <laughs> not literally, but we're we're just we're cannibalizing those who have less economic power. The less economic power you have, the less say you have in your actual everyday life now, mm -hmm. and everyone is tone deaf, nobody's listening um, from the municipal level all the way up to our Congress members. Nobody's listening, we can't get anything done. And unless you have the shiniest, most brand new pat back movement, you know, you're not gonna get anywhere. 
you know, unless you can create a glorious and glamorous woman's march on Washington that turns into t-shirts and pay for this, nobody's listening. Our, our, our protests are sterile. You know, the, the, the people have no power and we're supposed to be a democracy. That's some powerful words right there. You said capitalism. It's funny because I was having a conversation with someone. I said, the problem in this society is capitalism is so competitive. And you mentioned how it has contributed to pretty much the demise of our society. What, what do you think? How could we fix that? I mean, it, you know, capitalism has become such a religion or a way of life in this country. What, would you, what do you think should, it should be replaced with? Well, you know, that's a good question. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I stood, I did my undergrad and graduate work in international relations and political science. And so I'm a, I'm a huge study of Karl Marx. He warned us, you know, <laughs> he warned us that capitalism, a capitalist democracy would eventually, you know, the government would eventually be capitalized by, cannibalized by the corporations and that our next phase would be into fascism. I mean, mm. how, you know, a democracy, a capitalist democracy's natural evolution takes it into, you know, first a socialism, obviously, then a communism, but our end stage, late stage democracies, our next step is fascism. And I think mm. we see that happening now. We see that with Trump sending federal, you know, law enforcement and federal agents to, you know, Chicago. We see he's sending them to Portland. He, you know, deploying the National Guard to police, um, these cities is a form of fascism. A lot of people like to say martial law is beginning. Martial law is one component of a fascist regime. Mm -hmm. It's just the, the law enforcement component. When the local mm -hmm. law enforcement can no longer police their locality and the federal government has to send in their troops, that's martial law, which is one component of fascism. The other components of fascism is being censored because you can't speak out against the state. You know, the state has this sovereign power over what you can say. Um, we are all sort of self-censoring now. We self-censor because of this fascist regime. We self-censor by using pseudonyms or fake names in social media because we are afraid to be too vocal because it could hamper our livelihoods. It can hamper, it could hamper our ability to, you know, feed our families. So we're, we're, we're cloaked and we're daggered all over you know our social media profiles we're self-censoring because the state has become so far reaching into our everyday lives you know we are we're naturally evolving into a fascism both self-imposed and state-imposed um our next step is fascism i think we are we are dangerously close to that we can see that with with twitter twitter is censoring you know the president Facebook and their algorithms are censoring the news and the content that we take in. They've allowed these algorithms to create our own little echo chambers. We stay in our own little bubble. Mm -hmm. It creates cognitive dissonance. 25 years ago, reaching across the aisle was something we all admired in our elected officials. We liked that, you know, yeah, you were a Democrat, but are you going to work with Republicans? I don't remember growing up, you know, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s, came, became an adult in the early 90s. Um, I don't remember this much polarized arguing and these divergent, you know, viewpoints. I know that the, the bases, ideologies sort of switched under, under Carter. 
heavily. Then they switched a little more under under Reagan, who who got religion and um, you know abortion rights and or pro-life, pro-choice rights. I have to stop saying abortion rights because there is no side that's pro-abortion. You're the pro-choice or you're pro-life. You know, you just want people to be able to choose what they want to do with their bodies. Fascism is our next step. And I think that we will see a dismantling of, of the union, unfortunately, that, that it has to just be broken down. I don't know that you recover. I don't know that we are at the point where we can turn anything around. I feel like we might be at the point of no return. Um, which this entire pandemic has sort of pushed a hard reset on America. I mean, we're, our, our, our slip is showing, to, you know, to yeah. say the least. Our slip is showing with regards to disparities, racial disparities in the healthcare system. Um, our slip is showing with regards to, we've got embargoes on Cuba, so we can't, we, we're not even bringing in all of the global treatments for this COVID-19 because of, politicized embargoes and you know i call it you know high level infighting so i don't know that that we turn this around um i'm i'm reminded that the american empire is younger than the roman empire and all great empires come to an end um we just might be those people living in those historic times where we see that how do we as black people navigate through this though Oh my goodness. What should we be doing? <laughs> we as black people. Uh, well, I will say this. We as black people, um, I think we need to get ready. I think we start with um, our families. I've been very vocal about black people um, investing money in their, in, in their children's extracurricular activities and things that are more practical and tangible, such as these coding boot camps, you know, these, these, these youth coding camps these youth technology camps, while I love Little League football and cheerleading, uh, you know, our daughters probably should be able to, you know, code in something like R or Python, just so that they have a practical skill because everything is tech now. I think we start there at the very micro level, right at the micro level, figure out, okay, how do we shift how we develop our children? And then we go from there looking at math and science, I don't, I don't want to say that college is dead and a formal college education is dead. You've got these proponents out there saying, we need more trade schools. We do. We absolutely do. I think we start teaching our kids to go to a, a skilled trade. We need electricians, plumbers, things like that. I think we start at the micro level with retooling ourselves for whatever this new world is going to look like because we have a digital divide in the black community. We, we, we just absolutely do. You know, we've got more, we've got a larger digital divide gap um, in our community than others. Um, I think we start there at the micro level. At, at, at the next level, um, I think we're gonna have to look at something, if I were to go at a 50,000 foot view, we need to figure out what nation building looks like. What does that, look like because this country um, wasn't meant for us. You know, when it went, when, when, when the people that run this country, and I'm just going to be blunt, you know, you may have to edit out, when white folks realize, okay, wow, this is the end, they're going to be mad. They don't come for us because they, they kill for less. You know, coming. so <laughs> you see coming, coming. Baby. So at the 50,000 foot level, every black woman, man, and child that can legally carry a firearm, get a firearm. 
um, when people begin to act crazy and statistic when they see their inevitable annihilation. So keep at it. Like, let's not pretend like they're not going to kind of flip out. I mean, they shoot up theaters and, and mow their cars through farmer's markets and malls for less because they were bullied. Um, and, you know, so we need to have that at top of mind for physical safety. I think that Black people, one, should start thinking about physical safety and survival. Then we also need to think about nation building. I'm a huge fan of the Nation of Islam. While I'm not a Muslim, I mean, they've got the nation building, the organization of, you know, the fruit of Islam, they, they've got it down. They have a template that Black communities all over the nation should absolutely follow. I mean, that's that's the plan. You need, you have safety, food security, economic security, you know, now personal and physical security. Um, I think a good portion of us will probably migrate back home to Africa. I am a huge proponent of we should think about um, retiring there. I think mm -hmm. we should look at investment um, in Africa. That is where other nations, that's where they, everybody's rushing to Africa except African-Americans. I know. You got the, Ch <laughs> the Chinese yeah. are rushing there, yeah. the Dutch, the white folks. We're sitting there concerned whether or not they're going to like us and we got nappy hair like them. You know, the folks, <laughs> the folks that don't, you know, they could care less if the Africans like them. They're coming to set up shop anyway. So yeah. what's our problem? They said the only thing they're missing is that middle gap of African-American mm -hmm. expertise. You know, they've got the wealthy. Ooh, That's right. And they've yeah. got the poor and they got these young people. But that middle, you know, those of us who know how to go in and set up a digital file system, like stuff like that, that connecting the top with the bottom to create real industry. Yeah. And we hold that as African-Americans. Like we have the, here's how you set up this. Here's how you launch a real estate company. Here's how you make money. Like we've, we've been trained in this capitalist society, mm -hmm. but we are, we are, our nature is that we are loved. So we can take that and go over there with, with, with an open heart um, yes. and, and willing, willing energy and build up Africa. We can own it. We can take it. We, can, you know, we will grow. I mean, we'll be healthier for it. And so will Africa. And many of the countries, you know, they're asking us, why are y'all still there? Why? Come why? On, just come on. Come, come, come to the place where you love. Come where the love is. Come where the love is. Um, yeah, you know, I, we would we would rather fight and squabble with you than the Chinese people. Our uh, our problem with the reconnecting with Africa is definitely the lack of knowledge itself. But I also think it's that trust. You know, we traumatized over here, and it goes deep, deep to our DNA. Yes. If we yeah. ever get on a boat and go anywhere, we ain't coming back. But like you said, we don't need to come back here. This is a nightmare. So even if we go there and don't come back. We're not, we're not selling to a new slavery and we have to be open to trust and we've shut that down. But definitely healing has to be a part of our plan to move forward. And I'm, oh man, everything you said, girl, I'm over here like, yep, excuse me, sister, stay out and with the girl on you. You were speaking so much truth and, and it's so, so needed. We definitely need to reconnect with Africa and they are reaching across the, their hands are reaching across the ocean. Yeah. We just got to make that connection and have leadership like yourself to promote that and encourage that and then our people will feel at ease to trust and to do it absolutely yeah and i and i will say that 
in my opinion, we have just as much right to be there mm -hmm. as anyone yes. else that's there. Yes. Let's talk about this two-party system here in America. Oh. Two-party system. So while I ran for, um, on the Democratic ticket, you know, I got to see up close and personal what it, what, what, what's really going on, what the hell is really going on. Um, they're two wings of the same bird. I have, you know, if you, go, let's go back to 1980, which is, you know, my longest memory. I was alive then. I'm in Reagan. So Reagan is a, is a Republican and he, he, I'm from, and I grew up in Compton, California. And I can remember my high school and, you know, teachers telling us, you know, all this stuff, the government doesn't, you know, like you, well, this is around the time when all of the information about the Iran Contra hearings and, and, you know, it came out because I, I, I feel like the soap operas were late in the day for years because of the Contra hearings being on TV. So Ronald Reagan, a Republican regime, they used the CIA to, to, to fund their, their war with the Nicaraguan guerrillas by flooding crap, flooding, it started in Compton, Compton's ground zero, they flooded Compton with crack cocaine. Um, and then of course they went to every other black, you know, uh, middle-class city. So Republicans, you know, infected us, got all of our daddies and uncles hooked on crack. Um, Ronald Reagan, not only under Ronald Reagan, this happened, as well as he defunded the mental health, federally funded mental health hospitals, as well as federally funded parks and recreation programs. And so all of my uncles who graduated from high school around 1980, between 1980 and 1985, they call Ronald Reagan the creator of gangbanging. He said, because they watched the neighborhood park and recreation programs as they fell into tatters and there was no funded, you know, federal employee there administering it. The basketball teams and the football teams became, that's why they're named after neighborhoods. They were neighborhood teams. Once the basketball hoops were all torn and the, you know, the goals were all done, they started fighting and that, and then it became, we're going to meet at the park to fight. And then it evolved into a game. And so my, you know, my family members have told me Ronald Reagan is a creator of, of, you know, he created gangbang. Then they let all the mentally ill people out on the street because he closed all the federally funded mental hospitals. So now they're on the street, they're fighting at the park, they're taking, you know, then of course the drugs, you know, and then of course they dropping guns. So Ronald Reagan created the modern inner city ghetto um, in, in Los Angeles and all these mentally ill people start having babies and then they've having mentally ill children and you know people's families are strapped it's just a it's just a cacophony of madness under a republican president so then you have clinton come along and he goes oh all these people are on drugs all these kids are selling drugs some of these folks are selling drugs and building wealth you know we all we're smart enough to know well how can i parlay my little street slang hustle into a restaurant into a house so Black people are so resilient. We're always gonna, I always tell my friends, I said, have you noticed there's no new crackheads? Everybody that was a crackhead in the 80s, they just still a crackhead. There's like no new ones. Like I don't have any, there's nobody that graduated in the 90s. I mean, it's true when you think about it, like there's no 30 year old crackheads, you know? You're so right, oh my God. There's no new crackheads, right? It's like, okay, we, now that we know what's up and Nancy Reagan told us just say no, um, you know, there's no new crackheads. And so 
they noticed this. So 12 years later, you know, we get Clinton. He comes in and says, there's no new crackheads. Oh, wait a minute. These Negroes and figured out how to parlay this drug business mm -hmm. into an empire. They That's started right. record labels. Now we got mm -hmm. Russell Simmons and JC. Well, let's do three strikes law and put them all in jail. We catch them. So they're catching these young guys in the 90s with, with you know, so they, they do these levels in the, in, the, in the criminal justice laws. If you got over an ounce, it's this. If you got an ounce to three ounces, it's this. Plus it was, so now you're getting hit. So they made sure the three strikes law happened with one arrest and often in your first arrest. Possession, intent to distribute, and you know, whatever you were speeding. They just hit them with three, I have a cousin, they just hit you with three charges. And that, that, that was prevalent. So the Democrats came in and said, okay, well, we're going to remedy this. So then they, they gave us nonprofit organizations and said, well, we'll give you some grants and some federal money if you go into the black community and try to help those kids who we've turned into drug dealers and their parents into drug addicts. Here's some federal grant money to, 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 to fix them, <laughs> teach them how to lay fiber optics, stuff like that. Maxine Waters, I love her. She was my... Um, Congresswoman all the way from high school and she opened up a hole. We're gonna teach people so we get these black kids off the street how to lay fiber optic cable. Because fiber optic cable is the wave of the future. Fiber optic cable didn't pick up for 20 years after she opened that, but it was money and it pumped money in through a nonprofit, which I like to call colonial philanthropy, white people sitting up on the hill going down to help the poor black people getting free money, paying salaries to themselves, giving their kids jobs, nonprofit don't have to pay taxes. So the Democrats monetize the illness that the Republicans attacked us with. There you go, girl. So the Democrats, just like they're monetizing Black Lives Matter. We can get you a t-shirt with a fist, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, so, yes, I'm so sick of that marketing, the Black Lives Movement, I'm tired of this, yep. So, so you've got the Republicans infect you with the disease and the Democrats come around and, and put you in the Petri dish and figure out how to make money off of you. Mm -hmm. And then they both are just kind of laughing to the bank. You know, we're, we're, we, we are, we, we may not be in shadow slavery anymore, but we are the biggest moneymaker. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Whether it be entertainment, um, acting, whether it be our pain. Um, now all of a sudden, there's no new crackheads, right? And racism saved us from the opioid epidemic. Oh, it's a disease now. Oh, yeah. Come up with oh, yeah. Narcan. We're going to get them some Narcan. It's a disease because now white folks are the new crackheads. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and, and <laughs> let's legalize marijuana. Yep. And now let's create millionaire, billionaire people who are selling marijuana <laughs> growing marijuana opening up dispensaries while you have black people who have served time for the exact same thing so yeah. you basically took something that you saw as you were saying that where they created the empires and you put them in jail but now other people are creating these same empires and it's legal and it's legal we are we are in America has been trying to figure out what to do with their Negro problem mm -hmm. <laughs> since the first slave uprising and they just capitalism said I know what to do with them they're a profit mill 
And I, so, yeah, I want, I, I'm going to say this again, and I, I, I post about it all the time. One of, one of the books that I really believe that every Black person should read is Tom Burrell's book, Brainwashed. Tom Burrell was a, 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 a top marketing guru mm-hmm. and responsible for a lot of the marketing. And dispelling the myth of Black inferiority is, 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 is the next part of that particular book. It tells you what they are doing and how they manipulate us through materialism and telling you that you need things that you don't need. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's a must, it's a must read. It's important right. and it's something important to have conversations about and then just start to understand the brainwashing because it's a reality. It's a reality. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it is. Um, I wrote that down because I'm going to make sure I read that. Another great um, YouTube channel to follow is Speech from Arrested Development. Here's a great Uh, video called The Nigger Factory. The Nigger Factory. Um, And he talks about the goal of the entertainment industry and all this marketing to keep Black people and adolescents from age 35. Mm -hmm keeps us wanting juvenile things and adolescent things and the over hyper-sexualization of black women. Um, You know, black, over-sexualized images of black women is the norm. Mm -hmm. Whereas over-sexualized images of white women and Latina women and Asian women is the exception. That's right. And they, you know, we, with, with, with Megan the Stallion, you know, I want, the degrading um, name to be called a, a male horse, you Come know, on. because she has a large rump is, is appalling. You know, it's the fetishization of black people, which they love to do. Um, and we don't see it, but it's so pervasive. You know, our kids are growing up thinking that's normal. It's normal from a, from a, to, to, to be on, to be naked on Instagram. Yeah. Whew. You know what? I'm going to skip something because okay. no, seriously, because we're talking about when you're talking about black women, part of that falls right over into black women in politics. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the, and, and, and the attacks on black women in mm-hmm. politics. Treacherous. Why? Well, you know, it's interesting. This is a great topic for today. A friend of mine, she's a childhood elementary school friend of mine, said that she was having a long conversation with a white man yesterday who said, you know, your skin tone, you should just deal with it. You need to accept the fact that you're going to have to live in a world that's going to treat you different. Hmm. And 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 I'm paraphrasing this heavily, but that was the gist of it. You know, just deal with it. You're black. That's how you got it. Learn to live with it. Right. Oh. They've been the message. The central message there is, you know, stay in your place, black girl. Mm-hmm. Stay in your place, black folks. White America and white supremacy has always had this unnatural need to police us, oversee us, chastise us 
you know, watch us and control us. They think that they're in charge of every fiber of our being. And so when we move to these positions of authority, which politics gives us, politics evens the playing field for black people. It's hard for white people to reconcile their minds around it. It's hard for white men um, to reconcile their minds around it. So when you see Trump wanting to send in troops, claiming that, you know, Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot can't control her city, you know, I'm going, Chicago's been violent and crazy yes. for a hundred years. Like exactly. Nobody's been able to get it under wraps. Not not Rahm Emanuel, not the person before that, or the mayor before that, or the mayor before that. Like <laughs> exactly. I mean, can we can we can we start with Al Capone? What, that's, I was just thinking, I'm like, it's how the white people started it. They've been fighting and shooting. That, like, you just, you, if you go to Chicago, they fight and shooting, gangbanging, drugging up, trafficking, and they're corrupt. That's just, that's what Chicago is known for. And it's not Lori Lightfoot, you know, of course you get a black person in office, all of a sudden it's up to the black person to fix all, to fix a hundred years of of gang violence that started with white gangs. Like the original gang members are white people. You know the history is whenever they can't have an answer, then when all else fails, then they come to us. (laughs) There you go, to clean up their mess. (laughs) Um, And so you got Trump maligning um, Lori Lightfoot. Um, I I blame us and a little bit of social media and pop culture on that. I did not partake in any of the memes. You know, they talked about her, her hair, her shoes, her suit, her clothes. Yeah. And I said, you know what? Yeah. It, we, you know, we, we should, when we're, when we're doing real work, you really want her to come out there looking like, you know, f- f- full of weave and looking like a, a fashion model. Oh, you want her to look like Keisha Lance Bottoms, who is also being maligned by the governor of Georgia. That's I right. mean, there's this pervasiveness of these white men trying to build this narrative that first, black women don't know how to run their cities. Yeah. That yeah. black women are incompetent in this way. Um, and then here in Georgia, you got a black man mayor stepping and fetching, Como's coming down from New York to come save Savannah. And I go, what the hell? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, it's politics. Oh yeah. You know that it, it's this. They they wanted to put black people in their face, and the problem is, we are likely, and I believe in all likelihood, we're more than thirteen point nine percent of the population, and they know it. Everywhere, you know, most of the American population is concentrated to the major metropolitan cities. Most of it. Um. And, and they're mostly black, or they're mostly people of color. And so we're starting to elect people who look like us to that. And they know that if we have 50 black mayors this year, in 20 more years, we're going to have 50 more Congress members. In 20 more years after that, we ain't going to have nothing but presidents of color. So they've got to try to malign black people as best they can. They're, they're doing a number on black men right now with this you know i am not i am all for my lgbt uh q brothers and sisters 
but there's this message moving through where we're only going to accept you if you're a gay man. Mm. They're only okay with gay men. Um, straight black men almost have to explain that, hey, you know, I got a wife and kids and these are my kids and I'm going to protect my family. They don't want us to have a traditional family unit. They want us out on the fringes, you know, they want us really the maligning of the, of, the, of the black man is to try to control our population. They keep telling us we abort the most babies, but I think most black people know that's not true. They're trying to, they're trying to say, keep white women from aborting the white babies because they're not replacing their population. Pete, we, Pete. You, and I want you to think about all the stereotypes on the burdens and the shoulders of black women. Yeah. So we got too many baby daddies, right? But we also having the most abortions. So I'm trying to figure out what's going on there. <laughs> um, we either having too many or, we, or, or we're not. Um, or we aborting them all because we got this baby daddy problem. Um, we've got about 20 years ago, um, maybe about 10 now, 2011, when we realized that black women, based on the statistics, black women are the most educated mm -hmm. sub-demographic in America. We have more bachelors than all the other women and the mm -hmm. men. We got more masters and more doctorates. Yeah. All of a sudden, we also got the most AIDS. I said, okay, <laughs> so we got the most HIV and AIDS, um, but we having the most babies. Somehow they're not being born with AIDS. But we're also aborting. We're also aborting, you know, so we... <laughs> this is so ridiculous. They don't even add up. So right. we, we now we're the frontline workers. We all cashiers and nurses full of AIDS. And COVID. <laughs> so, and many, COVID. so many and children's COVID. and abortions. Yeah. And you know, and you're going, I'm going, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> we got everything. This. And I said, well, how can we be all of that? Like we are a plagued people. <laughs> now you've got the, the, the deadbeat black men who are apparently interested in impregnating all of us AIDS infected over educated cashier nurses. <laughs> <laughs> so we're having, we're having, I'm going, okay, well, sure, oh, I'm magic then. Is that yes. the magic? I said, okay, so, but they don't have. If, wait, I'm there. sorry. If I'm every woman. <laughs> <laughs> Let's blame let's blame Whitney Houston on that one. <laughs> That's the problem that they have with black women in politics. We we must make the sense. Mm -hmm. We're making too much sense. Yep. Yeah. 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 And we're analyzing things. I'm just listening to you as you're explaining this. And as a black woman who was in politics, tricks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you've experienced actually running in yeah. it you know what I mean and and what was it like for you as a black woman you know and I mean and even watching I, I think um I remember seeing something um with you with Stacey Abrams um there was something going on during the the campaigning mm -hmm. and you know and how all of that played out just you know yeah it was <laughs> So running as a black woman is, is, is really, you know, one, it's the hardest thing. Running for office has been the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Um, it is, you're like drinking water through a fire hydrant. You're under a microscope. You find out very quickly um, who your friends are, who your enemies are, who's jealous, who wants to malign you. 
um, running as a black woman in the South, you, oh. the racism comes out. I mean, when I tell you the, the, the racial threats and, and comments on your campaign ads, um, you see the ugliness of America, the ugliness of your community. Um, and there's nobody there to sort of help you or save you. You just sort of have to stand on your own two feet. Um, it is, it is, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. You, you constantly have to stay on. It's really hard because you can't really be your authentic self. Okay. You've got to make sure, like I couldn't say what I just said and uh, on a platform because the, the Democratic Party, that is their platform. We are LGBTQIPI and you, if you're not for all of that in whatever gradation it is, then you're not really a progressive, you're not really a Democrat. And they malign you. They will blackball you and push you to the side. Like you can't, they don't, there's no gray area in our two party system is I guess what I wanna say. Yeah. The only thing that separates the two parties now is, is guns, abortion, and LGBTQ. That's it. On, on paper, they're taking monies from all the same people. So you've got this, Believe you have to operate in no matter what platform you're on because they'll kick a Republican out if you're too nice to gay people or if you say one thing about gun regulation they kick the Democrat out they'll isolate you if you say well you know I'm, I'm, I'm married with kids and I'm for this but you know you can't they don't allow any there's no wiggle room. There's no more moderates. Nobody can be moderate anymore. And I really think that the bulk of America is purple. We all fall somewhere square down the middle. We're okay with this, but this is not something I choose. I want to own guns. I don't know that I should have 15 assault rifles. You know, I, you know, I want, I want it. Yeah. And here's the interesting part. As a black woman, we can say a little bit more than a black man we are a little less threatening you know they're not afraid to shake their finger at a black woman um which is why you see maxine water struggling and fighting and reclaiming her time up there you know Absolutely. so we are going to move on to hakima's challenges for today right. and then we're gonna hear more <laughs> from Alicia before we wrap the show up. This is a heavy show, boy. I'm still digesting all this information <laughs> and knowledge and wisdom. But my challenges is not even my challenges. It's all, it's all your challenges, sis. This is all you. But I'm, I'm just going to put a little twist on it, you know. So my first challenge is let's unite to increase our economic power to louden our voice. You heard our sisters speak today and talk about how we, those who have the economic power are those who get to be heard. So we need to focus on that. My second challenge is we need to study fascism in order to recognize it, in order to defeat it. We need to know what it looks like because it's happening right before our eyes and we don't seem to understand what we're watching. Challenge number three, we need to invest money in our children's extracurricular activities. We need to, not just football, not just basketball, we need to be investing in those math and science um, extracurriculum activities, the coding, the tech. We need to invest in those things. 
four challenges we need to retool. We need to come back to the table and figure out how we're going to do this. And we need to get it right. Uh, fifth challenge is nation building, nation building, nation building. We have to define as a nation how we're going to move forward. We have to focus on sustaining ourselves. We can no longer look at the whole society and say, well, when y'all going to put businesses in our neighborhood, when you all going to come and fix our schools, we have to look at it as if this is our problem, our nation, we have to fix it. Our sixth challenge is use that constitution. First, learn the constitution. Then use it to protect yourself because we don't even know the constitution. We walk around here, we know them songs though, but we don't know the constitution. We know what LeBron, how many points LeBron had last night and who we play and who we play for, but we don't know the constitution. So come on, you all, let's get our ideas. Let's get our mind in the right place. Uh, the last challenge is let's consider networking with Africa. Let's build those bridges so that we can retire and go to Africa. We need to go back home, y'all. It's, it's time. It's time for us to go back home, but let's go back home as the prodigal child, but let's go with the wisdom that we've learned. We got our brothers and sisters reaching across the pond for us. They're saying, hey, we want you to come back home. We need your expertise. We need to welcome that invite. We need to be a little more open to our own people. And that is our challenges for today. Well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to give you, Miss Alicia, the last word. What what do you want to leave our uh, our listeners with? There's a couple things that we I um, would have loved to touch on, but um, even if, when you leave them with this message, if you can even talk just real briefly about term limits and making the system work for us, and your final thoughts. Um, well, one thing I want to leave you at, term limits, I, I absolutely believe in term limits. We, we got to stop having our Black leaders die while actively in office. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't give us a chance to get fresh new ideas for a new generation in place to be effective for us. Um, it keeps us from being swept away and co-opted. The second thing is I'd like to leave with us right now, Black people need to really focus on local politics. If we're going to survive, we've got to stop staring at the White House, the White House, you know, fighting Trump is like shooting a pea at a 747. Um, focus on your local politics. Who are your city elected officials? Who are your county elected officials? And more importantly, who your state legislators are. Your state controls the electoral college. And as long as you don't pay attention to your electoral college electors, you're never going to have a say in the office of the president. Most people don't know or have any idea who their electoral college folks are in their, uh, in their state. Um, it's all controlled by your state's parties. Um, they pick the electoral college electors. Get focused on your state and local elections. That is how you start to build and chip away at the political establishment bit by bit. You, you know, get to know your mayor, get to know your, your chairman of your county commission or board of supervisors, and absolutely get to know who your state legislators are, know who your governor is, what your governor's up to. Black people must get focused there because that is where our power lies in microcosms. And then take control of local and you can build from there. You start grooming those leaders that we need for the next generation to represent us in Washington. You'll build more Barack Obamas. 
um, you'll build more effective Barack Obama since everyone has something to say about Obama. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think that that is what I would challenge. Your immediate thing is to focus on um, who's on that down ballot race. Don't just go in there and check off Biden or Trump or whoever. Keep going down the ballot. Know who those names are. Those are your local elected representatives. They have seduced us with the glamour of the White House. Um, yes. And we have ignored the people who have the power to uh, pump dirty water into Flint, Michigan. You know, right. we've ignored everybody along that, along that line. We've, you know, we see now that the U.S. Council of Mayors has come out with a resolution in support of reparations study. It's always been in the hands of the local people. Reparations has always been in the hands of Congress. The legislative branch sets laws. It was never in the, in the hands of President Obama to do anything like that. You know, he, he's, he's the executive branch. Legislator presents those bills. Pay attention to your congressmen. Know who your senior and your junior senators are. Know who your state assembly representatives are. You have a federal delegation and you have a state delegation. If you don't know who all those people are, then, you know, go, go watch another LeBron James game because, you, <laughs> I mean, it, and it, you'd be surprised at how many people have no idea that you've got this whole, you know, you've got this litany, this rostrum of representatives who will actually mm -hmm. return your phone call and listen to you um, yeah. if you call them or write them, but nobody does, you know, they're busy fussing with the office of the president, which is a, a an effort in mass utility. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah. Since this this is this has been an incredible yeah. <laughs> show yeah. to say the least. Um, but for our listeners who want to hear more from Alicia, let everyone know how they can hear more from you. <laughs> you can um, you can go and follow me on Facebook at Alicia Scott Forward. That is my fan page. I have a weekly, um, the Air Scott Hour, a weekly political, um, I try to add a little humor to it, but, and I also try to break down politics and the week's current political issues for the masses. I give my opinion, I take um, questions from the audience, or I will go to your comments after the show, uh, after the broadcast and respond. But um, Alicia Scott Forward, that is my Facebook fan page. Come like it, come share it. Um, and I post all of my broadcast notifications there. I go live 9 p.m. Eastern time every Friday. All right. Thanks again. And thank, thank you, audience, you. for listening to us. And we will see you on the next Conversations with the Royal Empress episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of Conversations with the Royal Impress. Tune in next week for another enlightening conversation. For more information on the Royal Impress, please visit the website royalimpress.org. You can also follow the Royal Impress on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Conversations with the Royal Impress is a subsidiary of the Royal Impress organization. All rights reserved.